Athletic. Casemiro picks out Marcus Rashford. Back comes Freuler, but Rashford's still going. It's a great run. Rashford, amazing. Caught here. That F. Anthony's well saved. The rebound smashed in. Five standing. United have a second on the stroke of half time. United still have an opportunity here. Fernandez! One giant size 12 in the final. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United, and we are back to react to Manchester United having one foot in a cup final. How exciting is that? We've also got the match against Reading to preview this weekend and a few other bits and bobs to round up as well. We've got Andy Mitten and Carl Anker with us. Both of them were at the city ground last night. Uh, Carl is back home and we'll say hello to Carl in a moment. But Andy, you're still working your way back home and you're actually at Gatwick Airport, I understand. Yeah, I'm working at Gatwick Airport and uh, a man came up to me about 20 minutes ago and said, do you want a free cocktail? I said, what? He said, we've been taking pictures of cocktails for a promotional shoot. So my first reaction to that was lorry. Obviously, he's not here. He's probably drinking cocktails himself somewhere. So I thought, (laughs) I've got to take advantage of this. He offered me a choice of eight cocktails. I had to write them down because obviously half of them are made up. I'd heard of Mojito. I'd heard of a Bloody Mary, a Moscow Mule, a Bucks Fizz, an Apple Teeny. Something called an old fashioned. Oh, yeah. Key Royale. In fact, I've heard, of mo- I've heard of most of them. They're not like Laurie's made up ones. So I said, yeah, why not? So I'm drinking something with a bit of fruit in it called a Manhattan. I don't even know what's in it. But anyway, I'm smiling. Exactly how many cocktails have you downed to uh, come on this podcast, Andy? I don't think there's alcohol in it. I just think that they were for a promotional shoot. But if I start slurring my words halfway through the podcast. Okay. Listeners might have a slightly different view of that. I was going to say, if it hits in part two, we're probably we're probably going to notice. So um, that's one to keep an eye on. Carl, are you completely sober for this then? Yep. Uh, a yep. strong coffee maybe to, to build up? I don't know. Just a bit of Lemsip. I think there's a cough going around Manchester. But other than that, I'm all good. I saw your post the other day, actually. You went to the shop to buy some cough medicine and there was none left. There was none left. Secret of good podcasting. Always have some cough syrup to hand just before you go record. I always wondered what you've been swigging all this, all this time. Um, right, we're going to do something a little bit different on the show today because we're all excited that Manchester United are nearly at Wembley again. It's been a long time, hasn't it? So we're going to have a little bit of music on the show today and we're going to play Name That Tune. Carl, you're up first. Shout when you know it. Whatever I said, whatever I meant, I didn't mean it. I, I just, just want, want back you for good. back for good. Want you back? Oh yeah. Want you back? Want you back for good? I'm tempted to give you full marks because you've sang it, but can we have the artist and the, the the name of the track, please? I believe that's Take That. Want you back? Yeah. Uh, back for good. Back for good by Take Ooh, That. Oh, yep. All right. Yep. Partial partial credit. Back for good. <laughs> Half a mark. Um, any idea what we might be playing that? Uh, I believe that would have been number one the last time Manchester United travelled to the city ground. <laughs> no, you might be right, though. I have absolutely no idea about that. It was more the title 
back for good because of what you, Mr. Anchor, have written oh, on The okay. Athletic. People might have seen it already. If they haven't, Manchester United are back for good, are they? Maybe, maybe. I keep thinking, you know, there's going to be a point where there's going to be a big, lovely, glossy 3,000 word article with customised artwork and loads of diagrams. And Laurie's probably been talking about uh, Apple Pod headphones and whatnot. And it's the inside story of how Eric Ten Hag turned Manchester United into an amazing football team all over again. That's going to happen one day. I, I'm fairly certain that piece will happen and there'll be a moment where everyone goes, ah, oh, finally. Uh, and that's with hindsight. But I keep going, in real time, are we ever going to go, that was the game. That was the game where it all switched. And I think it's coming soon. The fact that Manchester United pretty comprehensively beat someone in the first leg of a cup semi-final. You know, serious teams do that. And yet, Manchester United have been serious for ages. They've been here before, but this one felt quite different. This one felt like, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be the favourites in the second leg and they're going to be the favourites for, for a couple more games to come. And that's quite nice. I've got, I've got to stop being surprised whenever Ten Hag does something sensible. <laughs> you can tell by your intonation each time you sort of go <laughs> on to the topic. Andy Carr wrote in the piece um, that parts of this will read similar or familiar there's elements to this conversation that we've probably had before over the course of the last decade or so. What gives you the hope that this time is different? I think United are good. I don't think United are back for good until trophies have been won. I think there's been several points in the last decade where Manchester United have looked like uh, the team are back. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's first few months, Jose Mourinho having... I remember him being really strong just before he signed his his final uh, contract. There was even a moment in the spring of 15 under uh, Louis van Gaal. I think that Carl's right. It was significant to go away to a Premier League team in a semi-final and to record a 3-0 win. And I spoke to a Forest fan this morning and he just said, are you always that good? I said, nah, I wish, I wish. <laughs> but... Football's about glory, glory. It's glory, glory, Man United. And as we speak, Manchester United have have reached a semi-final. It does look like we're going to Wembley again. Feels great just to be thinking that. Just been seeing some various WhatsApp groups among my mates and they're talking about how we get into Wembley. Minibus, coach, we go on the trains. No, we can't trust the trains. Should we do this? Should we do that? Should we drive? And I've missed those conversations. Missed those trips to, to Wembley. And... I tweeted before the game yesterday that I was excited about going to Forest because it wasn't a semi-final against Manchester City because fans were allowed because it wasn't at Wembley and that excitement was justified. I saw Carl there and we agreed it was a really good night for Manchester United but trophies have got to arrive before I can say with any conviction that Manchester United are back. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's elements of, and, and a reference to that in, in Carl's piece as well. Carl, the one thing about last night, right? United won 3 0 away at a Premier League team in a semi final of a cup, and I'm not even convinced that they played that well, did they? Or did they? I don't know, really. That, yeah, I, I share your sentiment in that minute one to minute 90 wasn't comprehensive. No. Uh, I think what Manchester United are getting quite good at on the Ten Hag. Are, is the they are timing their goals quite well. So after the game, Steve Cooper was sort of bemoaning the fact that Valt Vekos got United second just before half time. 
and then you know which scuppers his half-time team talk and then his full-time team talk of lads don't worry it's only the first leg that gets trashed not you know just before full-time because Bruno Fernandes gets the third one and puts it to bed Cooper bemoaned a naivety from Nottingham Forest that they they weren't quite street rise enough to understand how a two-legged tie went whereas Eric Ten Hag's United looked streetwise in a way that uh, they've done it two or three times before. I think the best example of, of United not necessarily playing amazingly, but just absolutely dominating their moments was against the Sp- was against Spurs at Old Trafford. Of just right, okay, we're going to beat you up for the first half, and, and then just when you think you can build some momentum in the second half, we're going to beat you up for the first fifteen minutes of the second half. And they're getting good at that little habit, uh, and I think that's the cool thing about Manchester United. I think it will be a challenge to see how they take to a final because finals are also different to two-legged ties. But they're, they've got an edge to them now, which is nice. Yeah, it's just a control element, Andy, isn't it, that they still need to be able to work at, you know, dominating a, a 90 minutes, um, controlling a match. They've done it in recent times, of course, during this, this run of wins and positive results that they've had since the World Cup. But to do it consistently is the challenge. That's what the top teams do. That's what United did in the past. Uh, let's talk about some of the uh, protagonists at the city ground then. And I'm going to start with the big man up front, Wout Veghorst. It was great to see him get his first goal, but... I just like his overall play. I just feel like he brings something to United's attack that that we've not had for a while. You know, he's back to goal, holding off defenders, wrestling with people, laying off balls, all that sort of stuff. It's not perfect, and he is a yard short of pace, which he's never going to get, but there is something about his game that works for United at the moment, and I'm beginning to wonder whether he's going to end up being first choice because they seem to be able to rely on his fitness more than Martial in these you know, set in the second half of the season, basically. What do you think? Well, he's played him three games in a week and I spoke to him after the game last night and he said, yeah, I've been here for one week now and he had to take a step back and went, one week. And he's got his first goal. And as Ten Hag said after the match, strikers thrive off goals. So it's all right talking about the things you've mentioned and you're absolutely right on all of those points, the way he links into players. I sense and understand that his teammates really like him as well because he improves them, especially Marcus Rashford because he creates space by pulling defenders to one side. I was struck after the match, when he was right in front of me, how slim he is. I think that, and I spoke to another footballer and and he said he's still got to get fitness. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he's been playing in Turkey. It's not the same as the Premier League. He'll get up to sort of match, match fitness. And the fact that Anthony Martial has been unavailable for selection so many times means that he could actually become a really important signing. I love the way he clenched his fist when he scored that goal. Mm-hmm. Carl's right about the timing of the goal. Forrest were actually on top. So Marcus's first goal after six minutes, United started brilliantly. But Forrest had some really good passages of play. I was surprised to see Casemiro being turned a few times, being beaten for pace. I've not seen that so far. Gibbs White had a game on him in that first half, yeah. didn't he? He did. Yeah. He had a very, very good game. And so did Johnson up front. He was very fast. He kept the defenders... Occupied, but that second goal and the timing of it, it, it did what Carl just said. It, it killed the game, and in effect, it, it killed the tie. I've never come out of a major game with the home fans so quiet as last night. Usually, there's a reaction. Usually, there's like anger because they've been beaten and they're all really annoyed, or the buzzing because they've had a good result. So, a draw for Forest would have been a great result against Manchester United. Last night, it was just silent apart from the United end. United end was singing Que Sera Sera, we're going to Wembley, singing Argentina. 
the players were absolutely buzzing. There was a good connection between the fans and the away end. But Forest fans couldn't have got on the team's back because they're only just back in the Premier League. Just to reach a semi-final is a big achievement for them. So I think it was more deflation. I didn't hear any criticism of Nottingham Forest from the fans around me. The early goal did that, Andy, though, yeah. didn't it? You know, yeah. if you go there and, and struggle in the opening stages and go behind, then obviously the home fans are going to be in a completely different planet than the one that they were when Marcus Rashford ran half the length of the field unchallenged and, and stuck the ball in the back of the net. Carl, I'm, I'm beginning to like run out of questions about Marcus Rashford. That's how good he's been and that's how long this period's gone because we're now... 10 games post-World Cup, 10 goals, and it just doesn't show any sign of stopping, really, does it? He's he's finding new and interesting ways to get himself on the score sheet match by match and just getting stronger. That first goal looked easy. That first goal looked like an adult playing academy football or, or someone three or four age groups up, like, oh, yeah, I've got two defenders, I don't know, I'm just going to dribble past you. Okay, I'm in the penalty area. Well, I said unchallenged, but it wasn't even like... It was because Marcus Rashford made sure that no one could challenge yeah, him. Yeah, right. So he's gone through two Nottingham Forest defenders and I know they tried to tackle him, but he's just... <laughs> he's, I'm not bothered. Um, and, you know, it's Wayne Hennessy in goal rather than Dean Henderson because Dean Henderson's cup tight. And the thing I did enjoy was the fact that Marcus finished with his weaker foot. So I was sitting next to you know quite a few journalists and, and watching the real time. Did he put that in with his left foot? Because he's not again. Ra- you know, Rashford scored that goal before in terms of the dribble and cut inside. But the fact that he shot with his left foot and the fact that he put that in the near post rather than the far post, though, though it's those small things. That's the difference between him in his best season, you know, nineteen twenty on the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to, compared to him at Ten Hag. It shows sharpness, mm-hmm. it shows decisiveness, it shows confidence in, in the movement and it, it shows that in his head he knows exactly what he's going to do. He ran so quickly down that wing and went past people so quickly and unleashed his shot so quickly that almost the decisiveness of all of that ensured that there wasn't really anything that the Nottingham Forest defence or goalkeeper could do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm beginning to enjoy these Near post finishes as well. Mohamed Butt pointed out that it was a trick that uh, a certain striker of Uruguayan persuasion who played for one of United's rivals used to do when they realised, oh, yeah, I, I could put it far post or everyone else, but if I hit it hard enough, decisively enough before the goalkeeper can set, get set, nothing can stop me. It's looking like Rashid is about to have one of his, well, perhaps his best ever season. And this is now the sound of me touching wood so he doesn't get injured. Absolutely. That's the sound of me doing it as well. Marcus can't carry on being as prolific as this. Something has got to stop. But as Carl said, fingers crossed. If he can do 30 goals this season, they're, they're, they're serious numbers. And if he's working with Weghorst, and Weghorst said after the game, Marcus was the first player who came up to me. He was the one who welcomed me into training. So I don't think Marcus Rashford would ever say this publicly. But... He is much better off without Cristiano Ronaldo playing at Manchester United. His game is improving <laughs> because of it. His stats, it's clear to see if you watch Manchester United. Just one more thing to round up the chat last night, Andy. I think it's handy that United had that result in the first leg because it means that the team selection for the second leg perhaps can show some changes because there are a lot of games coming and a lot of important games and a potential League Cup final obviously only then adds in another game as well. One player who I think is maybe showing the signs of all these matches more than others is, is Christian Eriksen. I was surprised when I saw him on the on the team sheet to start last night, to be brutally honest. 
is there a danger of of overplaying that that midfield three of Casemiro, Eriksen, and, and Bruno Fernandes? Yes, there is. I think it, I was slightly surprised as well. I think he's fading in the second half. Uh, Marcus Rashford came off quite early yesterday. I'm not convinced he wanted to come off quite early, but you can see Ten Hag said it was planned. Okay, uh, at full time he said that was absolutely the plan. Take him off after a certain amount of time. So the the next month is massive. You can have. A game against Barcelona on the Thursday at Old Trafford, the deciding game, and three days later, a probable League Cup final at Wembley. You've got two matches against Leeds United, got a match against Crystal Palace, the FA Cup stuff as well. So it is a huge month, and I think Manchester United have looked a little bit tired in recent weeks in certain parts of of matches. Uh, Christian Eriksen... It's faded a little bit. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to every single player there. As I said, I was surprised that Casemiro was beaten so easily a couple of times. And that's for the manager just to get the best out of all of his players. He'll be looking, thinking, when can I bring Jadon Sancho back in? He'll be encouraged that Aaron Wambasaka is now playing all of the time. But United's success at the moment is a reliance on probably seven players who are turning up week in, week out. And most of them are not youngsters either. So that has got to be managed really carefully because it's relentless. These players don't just turn up and play and go home. They're leaving the families a day before. They're getting home late, the European trips. And then for the staff as well, it's, it is full on. It's exciting because people get into the rhythm of watching all the matches. But it needs to be managed really carefully and... I think it will be managed carefully. The, the the sports science are really on top of this type of thing at the moment. And I think that, well, I know that Tenag is really relieved that Vegos now plays for United. Yeah, definitely. And you could see that last night as well. Just to sort of sum it up, I think nine games in something like 30 days, starting with that Reading match at the weekend. So you can tell just how tight the schedule is going to be over the course of February and, and maybe why there will need to be changes for the Reading match first off and of course then the second leg against Nottingham Forest um, before it really gets tough. I did have a little chinwag with Ten Hag after the game about Facunda Palestri. Uh, said sort of what do you think he offered? And he said oh you know verticality. I uh, mentioned that he offered a good difference to Anthony. Inverter what? He said Palestri offered verticality uh, in that you know he gets up the pitch quickly basically. I've learned a new word. He said he runs in behind and he offers a different profile to Anthony and then he sort of did his hands on the left and right and went, Anthony, definitely going to want to cut inside all the time whereas Pelletri is going to go outside and whip it in old school. And I went, oh, well, you know, that's nice. Is Pelletri going to play against Reading? And he went, ah, well, you know, I've, I've still got to devise a plan but I've got many plans so we'll see. I spoke to Pelletri after the game as he was leaving and uh, I said, I'm going to your former... Uh, club at the weekend because I'm going to the part of Spain where he was last year and he stopped in his track and turned round and he said have a meal on me he said I really miss the food from there <laughs> so I'd like to see him play more because he's actually done well when he's come on and he's had very very few minutes so if he can be someone who can contribute and Reading at home Forrest when you're 3-0 up he doesn't need to go as strong as he went against Forest at the city ground. And he went really strong against Forest at the city ground. And he made the right decision. But there's opportunities now to rest some players. OK, in the interests of verticality, I'm going to move this conversation on.
Right, here we go then. Mystery song number two. Andy to guess. Play that too. Got it. Got it. Shout when you know it, Andy. I, I, I know it now. You know it? Go on then. Uh, Money's Too Tight to Mention by Simply Red. Correct. Uh, whose lead singer Mick Hucknall is a Manchester United fan from Manchester. Bit of a tune. Any idea why we might be playing that? Absolutely none. <laughs> Money's too tight to... Oh, yeah, yeah, I do, I do actually, because... And people listening to this might think it's a bit of a setup, but it's not, because I could show you my phone to prove it. Okay. Money's tight at Manchester United, and I've just read an article on a website called The Athletic. Oh, yeah, I know it. Which was very in-depth about Manchester United's current finances. By Matt Slater, by any chance. Yeah. Look, they are, just to prove I'm not blagging. Oh, there it is. And he's now holding up his phone <laughs> and it's open at Matt Slater's article. I read the headline, Manchester United, two million a week losses and financial fair play. Yeah. You could make me look a right idiot now and say, no, the song's nothing to do with that article. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely is. And it doesn't make great reading, does it? No, it doesn't. It's been coming this. And I was quite surprised when some Manchester United fans were saying things like, back the manager in the January transfer window. I'm thinking, with what? <laughs> Where's it coming from? Manchester United need money, really need money. Uh, the words financial fair play were mentioned in the article, and my understanding is that's not without reason. Manchester United are sailing very close to the wind. The, the bottom line is United have been spending too much money. The recruitment, as we know, has not been good enough. That has meant that United have been paying off players, managers, huge amounts of money, millions and millions of pounds, and not selling particularly well. So if you compare, I don't know, Manchester City, the way they sell players and the money they bring in, compared to Manchester United, there's very little comparison. If you then add in a lack of Champions League football and the commercial and broadcast revenues associated with that, then Manchester United is not quite the cash cow and you can start to see why the Glazers are looking for alternative investments or a full sale. Yeah, Matt explains a lot in that piece. One of the interesting points he makes at the start of it, Carl, is the different readings of the situation that people can have. But two million a week loss sounds unsustainable. Um, but how urgent do you think that the financial situation is for United now? I think, yeah, urgency is the word. This is helped by the current form of the team and Eric Ten Hag being a very good coach. So... You know, at, at the start of the season, I didn't have Manchester United pegged as hitting the Andy Mitten standard, but that might be a possibility now, which means there's an extra bit of prize money, an extra bit of television money, and a certain Champions League anthem possibly playing next season, which will reduce some of the urgency. But yeah, Manchester United have to get better at selling players. I think the sponsorship situation was really interesting to me. So, you know, Slater's piece talks about Chevrolet's unhappiness, disgruntlement uh, at the amount of money they spent on the front of the shirt sponsor and then TeamViewer coming in afterwards. Uh, TeamViewer, one of, you know, coming from an industry that earned a lot of money during uh, lockdown when everyone was working from home and having to do remote work uh, and now as things have quote-unquote got back to normal again, um, TeamViewer's place in the industry and TeamViewer's value in the industry perhaps isn't what it was in 2020. So Team Viewer now also going, hmm, did we get value for money in that as well? 
you add this to well when shareholders are saying this is not value for money I can't believe how much we've spent on this that's not a great look for United is it that type of story about Manchester United's reputation name however you want to call it is damaging isn't it I remember talking to some of the Everton writers not too long ago and they were talking about how much money Angry Birds paid for, to be the sleeve sponsor of Everton uh, and you know they're all going yeah I can't believe it we've come the sleeve sponsor of Everton for X amount of money uh, and then a news report came out about how much Cola, uh, the kitchenware brand, paid to be Manchester United shirt sponsor. Uh, and they were just sort of like, oh my goodness. Uh, it was light and day, the amount of money spent on Manchester United compared to amount spent on Everton. Yeah, you know, those are two clubs of different trajectories. But I think the days of, you know, Manchester United being, oh, record-breaking shirt sale deal might not be happening in the near future, which if you're an accountant and you're hoping to keep having large amounts being spent on shirt sponsors and, and front of the sales sponsors, you're going, uh-oh, i got to find money elsewhere. United are fourth on the money list, which considering where they were in the Premier League table last season, all the turmoil with the manager as well, and they're still above some very well-established football clubs. It doesn't look that bad on that side of it, but it's amazing how quick the financial landscape has changed because it's felt at times over the course of the last decade that United not being top of the table hasn't always meant a great deal to spending in the transfer market or spending on wages. But when you look at the stats and the figures and everything else now, is that over for the time being? There's two things there. I'm doubtful of some of the figures attached to some of the clubs who have risen in profile and prominence in the last decade and the way their sponsorships are done. You're right, Manchester United were the preeminent financial force for a long time. It was Man United, Real Madrid, Barcelona. It's changing, partly because Manchester United have not been as dominant um, in club competition. And if you're missing out on that Champions League football, uh, the sponsorship invariably is going to suffer from that as well. Carl mentioned one word there, Chevrolet. I don't attach any blame at all to Manchester United for pulling Chevrolet's pants down and getting a, an incredible sponsorship deal. That's good negotiation. It's the fault of Chevrolet if they're thinking that they've overpaid and made a mistake. Manchester United's obligation is to is to the, the supporters, is to do as well as possible on the pitch and to bring in as much money as possible from commercial sources. And Chevrolet worked well. I think with TeamViewer, the climate change for them because TeamViewer did very well during the COVID lockdown when people were using the products more and more. But there are still people who want to be associated with Manchester United, but it is much harder. I was speaking to a Norwegian last week who said, because of Haaland, Manchester City are becoming more and more popular in Norway. And for so long, it's been United and Liverpool being uh, so dominant. It is inevitable that the top and most attractive teams attract new support and the cash eventually flows from that. I'd read the article because a lot of work's gone into that. And I think it's what the athletic does well. Andy, in your opinion, the finances and the reality of the situation now, how does it affect Eric Ten Hag's job at trying to get Manchester United back like we were talking about earlier on in the pod? Well, the markets hate uncertainty. And because Manchester United are up for sale, that means that we don't know what the future's going to be. Don't know who's going to bid for Manchester United, who's going to be successful in that bid, what those budgets will be, what type of owner they'll be. Are they going to become a benefactor are they going to be another um, American company using highly leveraged buyout um, we just don't know and all that adds uncertainty so from Eric Ten Hag's perspective 
he'll want to plan ahead. He'll want to know who he can go for in the summer. And I don't think a definite answer can be given to that question while the club's still up for sale. And we've seen the reality, a little bit of a shock with the with the latest figures and Manchester United's current financial situation. Things are actually looking good on the pitch. Eric Tenag's doing a very good job. You want to keep him on side. You've also seen how much a football club can change when new owners come in, like we've seen at Chelsea. That may pay off for them in the long run, buying 600 players a day, or it may turn out to be a folly. So from Eric Tenag's perspective, all he would want to know is how much he's going to spend and which type of players he can go for. And he can't get the answers to that because nobody can give him the answer when the club is for sale. Okay, if you want to know more about Manchester United's current financial situation, Matt Slater's article is up on The Athletic now. I can also recommend another article to go and read, and that's from Phil Buckingham on the financial sustainability of Premier League clubs at the moment. There's a lot of detail in there as well about Manchester United's situation. Obviously, you need to be a subscriber to read those articles. If you're not one, you can take advantage of our special podcast price at the moment, £1.99 a month for a year, when you join at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Okay, Andy Mitter needs to go and get a flight. However, Andy, I'm just going to keep you a second longer just to play our game again. This is mystery song number three. You can both guess on this one. Take it away. Is that Otis Redding? This is Otis Redding, right? It is Otis Redding, absolutely. And I wonder why we would be playing an Otis Redding track. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard to handle as well. We're hoping that Redding aren't going to be that, of course, at the weekend. Uh, Andy Mitten certainly hasn't been hard to handle on this podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you as always, Andy. I'm glad you downed the cocktails and they had absolutely no effect on your podcast capabilities. And I just want to wish you a safe flight home. So can I tell you one little thing about that song, right? Oh, yeah. 22 years ago, Manchester United played in Brazil. Here we go. Load up the Andy Mitten generator for anecdotes. Here we go. Well, this has jogged my memory. There was a United fan in our hotel from Reading, right? And he was an older fella. No one had ever seen him before at the match. It was a bit unusual when suddenly you know everybody apart from this fella from Reading. And Otis is the name of a lift, right? And the lift in our hotel was made by Otis. So this fella, we just start calling him Otis, and he just didn't have a clue. For like two weeks, like 30 men are calling this Redding Red Otis, and he didn't have a clue why. And I realised that that might not be interesting, but if you're going to play Otis Redding songs to me, the way my brain works, it's just going to click in. And link it to some mental Manchester United story. Otis, if you're still alive, Rio was brilliant. I thought you were going to come out with some story about Otis Redding being a closet Manchester United fan or something at that point. But you still managed to to bring an anecdote in a situation I never expected. So true to form. Andy, brilliant way to end it. Thank you very much for being with us as always. Take care, mate. Uh, Congratulations, of course, to anyone at home who might have been playing that game as well. I didn't actually encourage 
audience participation, but I'm sure there were people shouting at their devices what the correct answers were. Right, let's <laughs> let's talk about Reading. I think it is certain, isn't it, that United are going to rotate for this one. I mean, I, I was surprised in a way at how strong that side was last night. Lindelof was only the only player maybe who you would suggest wasn't in United's strongest eleven that started that game and was available for the match as well. Um, Harry Maguire for a start, surely he comes into the lineup for this game, doesn't he? You would hope so. I think what was quite interesting when the, when the League Cup lineup came up was Maguire wasn't in the squad and there was confusion as to why. He's been dropped, right? Carl. It's been there, was dropped. Lo- there was loads of chat about him being He's dropped. dropped. And, it, and it was only where you know I was in... You know, Nottingham Forest's press room going, oh, where, where's Harry Maguire? Only to be politely informed by United's press officer that he's suspended. Uh, and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, booking against Shelton, booking against Aston Villa. Uh, and I think if you're the club captain of Manchester United and no one realises you're suspended for a semi-final. Yeah, true. Until I'd not thought of it like that, yeah. After the lineup has been announced, that probably says a lot about your place in the packing order. Harry Maguire should be looking to start this game. The argument as to why he won't, I think, is Lissandra Martinez seems to be on a sort of slow build to, to get his 90 minutes back up. You know, he's, he's not played too many games since the, the, the end of the World Cup. And there's this sticking point about Maguire at right centre-back that doesn't make him the immediate person to come in on the right-hand side. He, he doesn't seem to enjoy playing on the right-hand side in the same way that Victor Lindelof can, can take to it relatively easily as well. So that would be tricky uh, there uh, in terms of central midfield if Casemiro does play again surely not yeah yeah you, you'd think McFred should be enough here <laughs> and yet but the thing is Eric Ten Hag hasn't rotated that much has he there's been a couple of matches in fairness where there has been sort of wholesale changes and Tom Heaton's been in goal and things like that but I suppose he doesn't want to lose the momentum that's been building. Um, he also will be wary that you know it's a, another competition that United will want to progress in and have a, an ambition to do well in, as well as the League Cup. It's just how seriously you have to take Reading, isn't it? You know they're not they're not a bad team. In fairness, it's not like you're talking about a League One or a League Two team or a team out of form, is it? No, Reading are absolutely no pushovers. It's good that you mentioned Ten Hag is not one for rotations. This is something that he's had. Over his Ajax as well. He, he's he's a big fan of automatisms and the idea of the longer you leave someone in the in the starting lineup, the quicker they pick up certain repetitions and certain actions they need to do. I wouldn't be surprised if you get a strong starting lineup. I would also expect that you get a lot of substitutions in the fifty fifth minute or, or the sixtieth minute. So more players are on the on the Marcus Rashford program of you get an hour and then off your gum because you need to tire. You mentioned Christian Eriksen before and he noticeably flags after the hour mark. He has sort of two drops where he, he, he gets a bit knackered at 60 minutes and then he properly can't seem to run after loose balls after 75. So I would like him to be rested entirely, but if he if he plays, yeah, he's going to be a half-time sub for sure. Yeah, I said about the team uh, not being in form, as in Reading not being in form coming into the game. They did get beat 4-0 against Stoke in the last match, but such is the nature of the championship this season. They're in the bottom half with 37 points. And that means that they're only five points off the playoffs <laughs> because yep. there's literally Watford in third on 44 points. And then you can go all the way down to 
to Reading in 14th and they're not actually that far off. It's it's ridiculous really just how many teams are in contention this season. It looks like Burnley are coming back, Sheffield United maybe as well, but the fight for the rest of that division is definitely on. Um, Paul Ince coming back obviously is an interesting story as well, Carl. Um, and I think the reception he gets might be quite interesting as well. That's one word for it. Yeah, uh, it's something that I always find interesting in itself is... I class myself as a younger Manchester United fan, but they're also young United fans even younger than me that don't necessarily understand why Paul Ince has a tetchy relationship with Manchester United. Um, so in short, was, was very good on, on the Fergie years. Uh, used to nickname himself the governor. Even had a number plate, which referenced that as well on his Rolls Royce, I think it was. Was a great combative central midfielder. Alex Ferguson thought calling himself the governor was a bit too much. Uh, and also thought around about, I'd say, 90, 95. Mid, in the mid-90s, Mr. Ince was losing a step. Uh, and therefore, Paul Ince went over to Liverpool. Well, Inter Milan first. Yeah. Which which United fans, obviously, it was that, that shock summer where Andre Kinchelski's Paul Ince and Mark Hughes were all sold. Um, and it opened the door then for the class of 92 players to come through. Alan Hansen, you can't win anything with kids, etc., etc. Uh, and obviously... Paul Ince had been a key part of the of the first Premier League winning team, and and United returning to the top under Sir Alex Ferguson in those those years in the early nineties. The Inter Milan bit didn't really hurt United fans. It was coming back to Liverpool, and I remember there was one game in particular uh, when United were on course to win the treble, and they ended up drawing two all. I think it was at Anfield. And Ince scored an equaliser towards the end in front of the cop, and went absolutely berserk in celebration. I seem to remember my dad especially having an issue with, with that particular goal and the way it was celebrated from Paul Ince. I interviewed him last season, actually. It was um, a Premier League legends interview, so you tend to go over some of the, the, you know, the key themes of his career. And he's still very, very positive about everything that happened at Manchester United. No regrets, he said. You could tell there was maybe a few about how things had worked out with leaving and so on. But um, he'll be absolutely desperate to win this game, won't he? And if Sir Alex Ferguson's in the stand, he'll be desperate not to see that man smiling at the end of the match. Yes, yeah, I think so. I once had one of my friends once say, what if Paul Pogba grows up and ends up being Manchester, like the next Paul Ince for Manchester United? So there's like a, if you're of a certain age and need a quick byword, you know, Good midfielder on his day. Sometimes his day wasn't all the time at Manchester United. Eventually leaves and then every now and again would come back and be a bit of a scourge. Paul Ince was more successful than Paul Pogba at Manchester United though. That's, that that's the thing. That he was. <laughs> he was very, very good. Very, very good in my earliest memories of, of the team in the early 90s. The one thing this does continue actually is after that Arsenal game and I think we touched on it on the last podcast just how winnable the matches are for United over these coming weeks obviously a reminder as well if there was a replay against Reading uh, or Leeds of course playing Accrington Stanley this weekend then the, the Leeds Premier League game that's been scheduled in the midweek at Old Trafford would be sort of rescheduled again but it is important now that United properly recover from that that Arsenal result isn't it they've, they've had real runs this season post the derby post Aston Villa where it's felt like there's been a proper recovery and, and the league table said that and their cup progression has said that and the next few weeks okay they're not the biggest of opponents coming up apart from Barcelona but there are serious progressions to be made in both the league and the cup competitions. Absolutely and I think the fact you're describing these games as winnable beatable again in air quotes shows what Ten Hag has done to this team 
two years ago, three years ago, it was these sorts of games that used to frighten United a lot because we knew United were amazing on the counter-attack, but the, the the bottom half teams that used to sit deep and go, go on then, go on Marcus, try and break us down. Go on Bruno Fernandes, try and break us down. Those were the teams where where those annoying, frustrating one-all draws or eventually 2-0 defeats would really come in. Whereas it's not Bielsa's leads anymore, so there's no guarantee Scott McTominay is going to immediately transform into the greatest midfielder player of all time. But Leeds is always difficult. But I, I, I just get the feeling that it's going to be slightly less difficult because Eric Ten Hag is involved and he, he, he will have a plan. And the fact that he, you know, I asked him about the Reading game, he goes, yeah, you know, let me get home, watch this, and I'll come up with a plan for you. There is a, there's a method to this Manchester United team that hasn't been present previously. They're so much better in the, in the middle third. And, and they're so much better at just making games boring when they're winning. And if anyone watched that second half against Nottingham Forest, they went, eh, not, not much is happening anymore. That is Ten Hag is going, all right, Nottingham Forest had the fun. On you go, Fred. Let's make Gibbs White have a terrible afternoon now. Because that's what they can do. Yep. He's got a plan. I think that's the best way to sum it up. It sort of brought us full circle in the podcast as well. We started off talking about Carl's piece on The Athletic, about Manchester United maybe being back. Maybe, I think, was the emphasis when when Carl was talking about it at the start. But if you want to go and read Carl's piece, and indeed any of the pieces that we've talked about on the podcast today, remember, you can subscribe now for £1.99 a month for a year when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But all I'm left to do now is say, Carl... Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on Talk of the Devils as always. Thank you to Andy as well, who's up probably on a flight back home by now. And thank you for listening at home as well. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.